0: Well, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter. (laughs) There you go. It's so good to have all of you here. um, And it's great to have all of you that are joining us online on this uh, wonderful Easter. So uh, this is kind of a special Easter for us because we're getting close to this point that like it's really started to dawn on us. Our oldest child, my son Chandler, is going to be finishing up uh, grad school here in another month. And so it had us thinking about like all the way back when he was born, like which seems like it was just yesterday and yet he's all grown up now. Um, And my wife Angie found uh, some baby pictures of Chandler um, that like he just looks so sweet. Do we we have one of those? There, yeah, Mm, yeah, not really. It's like because he wouldn't sleep as a child. In fact, what made that picture special to me when I saw it was I was like, his eyes are closed. Yeah, we didn't get to see that very often when he was that age. You know, we brought him home from the hospital and like at the hospital, it's just like there's this whole team of nurses that just take care of him and you get to go to sleep. And then we brought him home and that team of nurses didn't come home with us, right? And so all of a sudden we were just like, I was like, oh my gosh, what do we have to do to get this kid to go to sleep? Like he wouldn't hardly go to sleep at all. And when we would finally get him to sleep, like, like he wouldn't stay asleep. And we looked at all these techniques and all of these things and none of them seemed to uh, work, you know, and people are like, you just got to let him cry it out. I'm like, oh yeah. So we let him cry it out and we did. Problem was he's crying it out and we still aren't getting any sleep because we're listening to him cry it out. I had this one technique, the thing that worked, uh, that seemed to work the best was um, I would hold him and, and I. Have to walk, and I'd have to do this like weird, like walk thing with him. And Pat is, and then he'd fall asleep. And then I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, he's asleep. This is so good. I'm gonna put him down." And then, ah, and then it's like, "Oh my gosh," so then like, and it was just this thing like he'll only sleep when I'm doing like this. And then I'd like see it, and I'm just like, "Oh my gosh, this is so good." And there's like, ah, and it's just like, and it became this crazy thing until we like uh, the first weeks months angie and i we were like zombies like because we just could not get enough sleep i have this new theory that like all of the zombie movies shows that you ever see it's because some screenwriter just had a newborn child that's what happened and they got this inspiration for zombies on this thing um you know uh, uh, looking back on that it was such a challenge that just wore us out and i was thinking about challenges you know there are there are beautiful, wonderful, exciting challenges in life, right that uh, inspire you, maybe it's like with sports or some new project at work or something. But then there's also those miserable, daunting challenges in life, like like trying to get a child to sleep who won't sleep. In fact, he didn't sleep through the night until after he was well over a year old. That's uh, what we went through uh, with him. Um, but you know, the thing about those daunting challenges uh, it's not just how they wear you out. There's something about them. It's it's this thing of like no matter how much you work on them, no matter how much you do, it's never enough. That's what makes a daunting challenge a daunting challenge. And I bring this up because um, we face this in our spiritual lives as well. There are these kinds of daunting challenges that we face and they wear us out. And we experience them oftentimes is like a kind of weight. This weight that like you can't put down, like rocks in your backpack. Like, you know, when you all came in this morning, you got that rock, right? And that's like symbolic of those kinds of challenges or that problem, that thing that's like, when can I do enough to finally lay this down? And sometimes we experience that weight, like it's the weight of regret, right? There, there, there's something that you regret, regret maybe it was uh relationally maybe it was in parenting it's just like oh i should have given my kids like more direction and i should have been i should have helped them more or you're like oh i've got all this regret and, you know i was too restrictive and i should have backed off a little bit and just and there's this thing of like you feel it and with the regret it's like i gotta prove myself i've got to prove myself in this or or maybe it's the weight of need like you say like i, I need to be okay i need to know that i'll be okay or i need companionship I need financial security, and at a spiritual level, it's this thing like God, what do I what do I have to do to please you enough that you, that that you would help me in life, that you you'd be there for me, you'd guide me, you'd take care of those things that I need in my life, and you like have you ever found yourself in a point where where you felt like like God, what else do I need to do that you'll be there for me, that you, you'll care about my life? And you find yourself working so hard to try and please God. Or maybe, maybe it's guilt that weighs you down. You did something wrong. There's a sin that you gave into. There's, there's like some struggle uh, that you have, something that like you you feel remorse over. and if you could go back and undo it, you would, but you can't. And now like there's this thing that you feel like I've got to make up for. That that somehow, like, because I did this, like, God expects me to make up for this in some way. But have you ever experienced trying to make up for it, trying to please God, trying to prove yourself spiritually in some way, and it's like you get to a certain point, but it's not quite enough to lay that weight down? If you've experienced that, if you're experiencing that now, you're not alone. Because people throughout time and history have experienced this. In fact, you look back all the way to ancient times and people struggled with this. This is why virtually every culture, every nation, every era of history that we know of has like temples and priests and altars. Because at a spiritual level, this is like how people dealt with this. It it was, you went to the temple because there was something there. Like this is... Uh, the temple holds all the things that I need for the works that I have to do or the rituals that would be the thing that would please God so that God will do those things in my life. Uh, there were altars and you would go and you would do sacrifice. You know, there'd be sin atonements and, and there would be uh, offerings for what you had done wrong, uh, maybe knowingly or unknowingly. They had all of these things and, and priests would be involved in this and they would do all of this work. Trying to help people take that weight off. The problem is, every time you'd go, like, you might have a moment where it, like, ah, oh, okay, we're okay. But it was never enough. It's interesting, the Bible talks about that. Bible talks about like this work of priests and all the things that would go on there's one uh, book called uh, Hebrews it's found in the New Testament and it talks about the work the priests do it says uh, day after day every priest stands because they never get to sit down right stands and performs his religious duties again and again and he offers the same sacrifices and those priests uh, you don't see any of these examples where these priests, in working on these duties, ever got to sit down, right? Like, there're that moment, it's just like, oh, I think of there, and it's like, no, no, there's more to do. So what do you do in life where you, it's like you've got rocks in your backpack, and there's spiritual in nature, it. like, like, what do you do with that? And uh, I want to look at this passage in Hebrews because he walks through something here that actually connects us to the Easter story in a really beautiful uh, way. And he's talking about this work that the, the priests would do and that we do to try and, and be right with God. He says this, for this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. In other words, he's saying, like, the thing it's supposed to do, it doesn't end up doing in this. And he goes on, he says, if it could, right, talking about these works, the sacrifices, and ever feel like you're sacrificing something, like, like ever find yourself, uh, like, apologizing to God or doing some good work in an effort to get on God's good side, and you just, like, keep repeating it, repeating it? And he says, um, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Like, like if it worked, at some point you go, I did the thing and it worked and now I'm good, right? But that's not how it works. And he goes on and he says, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Uh, in the original language, Greek, that this was written in, it's actually a little bit more precise, and some of you may have this in your Bibles, a a more precise reading of this would be, and they would no longer have a sin consciousness, right? So it's deeper than just feelings. It's it's down deep in in your sense of consciousness. You'd no longer be sin conscious in this. In other words, the point that he's making in this is that if All of those things that we do to to try and appease God, to make up for what we've done wrong, if they really worked, it would have transformed us somewhere down deep in our souls. And there's this thing that we do as people. We pull together these religious systems and all of these good works and deeds and rituals and all of these things that we think will solve that weight that we bear and that we carry. But he says, really if it really worked, it would have transformed your conscience. It would have assuaged the the regret. It would have removed the guilt, the pain, the worry. It would have actually moved your heart towards something good and beautiful. Your longings would begin to change. You would experience a new kind of joy. You would experience a kind of rest. That's what he's saying about all those religious things, things, religious things that are actually talked about in the Bible. And then he goes on and he says, and it's not that it's just neutral. It's not like, oh, it just doesn't work. You know, go ahead and do it because, you know, it may not work, but like, you know. It actually has a negative effect. He says this, he ends this section, he says this. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And and his point, what he's getting at with this is um th- they become this weird thing that instead of fixing the problem actually pull you back into the very problem like like maybe there's a moment where it does something good but then it pulls you right back into it ever experience that moment where you like there's some struggle that you have maybe it's a fear maybe it's a temptation and, and, and you do all this work and you feel like you're on top of it, but all the work you do has you so focused on it, like it becomes the thing in your life until that thing catches up and drags you down again. A uh, way to illustrate this, um, years ago, I was in uh, Santa Fe uh, on a trip and I was with uh, several friends And someone had recommended that we go to this little Mexican food restaurant. We all liked Mexican food. Like, oh, we'll we'll go to this place. And they said, but be careful. You just need to know the hot sauce at this place is really, really hot. So we go to this place and I order my, we all ordered our food. And the waiter brings out uh, these hot sauces. He's got like the hot, medium, and mild. Our food comes and remembering this, I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with the mild sauce, right? Just, you know, going off the recommendation. I put a little bit of mild sauce on my food. I take a bite. It doesn't seem very bad until about like 10 seconds later, right? And it starts to catch up with you. And all of a sudden it's like, whew, ah, oh, boy, that's got a bite. And, you know, and then I'm taking another bite and I'm like, okay, this is starting to hurt, but I need to remain very cool because I'm with some of my friends and I, I, I don't want to look like a wimp, right? I grew up eating Mexican food. I'm from Tucson, right? I can handle this, right? Um, I, just, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Until finally I looked over and saw my friends and they're like, oh man. And like the waiter comes up and I'm like, this stuff's like, I, and my first thought was, I got it mixed up, right? I got the hot stuff. I thought it, and he's like, no, that's the mild right there. I'm like, really? Okay. And I did this instinctual thing that I knew better than, right? But I grabbed a glass of water because it was burning, right? And if you've ever been in this like if you grew up eating Mexican food and hot food, like, you know, like, you know, don't grab a soft drink, don't grab a glass of water, but it was burning my mouth so bad. I grabbed this glass of water, right? And I drink a little drink and it's like, ah. Oh. But you know, now I'm just swirling all the pepperness around my whole mouth. Now now it's everywhere. Opening up all those taste buds, right? And just like, then it's like, oh man, it got bad, right? And I'm, and the waiter's, you know, looking at me like, and I'm just like, who makes this stuff, Satan? Like, this is like, whoa! And then I asked him, I said, if you got anything milder than that, milder, he's like, I don't know. Let me go ask the cook, and he takes off, you know. And now we're all scraping the hot sauce off of our food, and we're trying to eat the food with no hot sauce. But it had enough like hotness in it, like, and now we're just dying. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is like. Um, the good news was the back of my throat and tongue was starting to become numb right now. The bad news was all the tears and everything. Now I'm getting it on my face, and now my lips are burning, and my nose is starting to burn. And, you know, it's, it's getting up close to my eye, and you're just like, oh, no, it's going to And the guy walks out, and I'm just like, mm, and he goes, no kidding. He walks out, the, the, our waiter walks out. He has a bottle of Tabasco sauce. And he goes, so the cook said this is what he waters the hot sauce down with. Yeah, that's what I thought. You're watering it down with Tabasco sauce? Like, it's just like it's killing us. But went through this thing that every time I take a glass of, you know, a drink of water, like, it would soothe it for a moment. But, in, but it just, it kept making it worse, right? So, um, like, in a similar way, right, um, what water is to hot sauce, Like there's this thing about a kind of religious system that we're drawn to that is about working hard, a religious system about what I need to do to please God, to make up for my failings and regrets or to prove myself in some way spiritually. There's something about that that like we have moments where it's like, oh, wow, I did all of this. This is so good. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying, yeah, and it just takes you right back to that just remembering all the failure points, all the more stuff that you could do. See, friends, religion like that is like the worst hot sauce ever because here's what it does. It it compels you to seek out for relief the very thing that's going to turn around and cause you more hurt and more pain. It draws you forward to this thing, but in the end, it only hurts more. And I bet some of you know what that's like. Some of you, like, and maybe it was a well-meaning Christian and you interacted and somehow, like, they wanted to help you in life, but what they laid at your feet or on your head just created a kind of shame or guilt, and it hurt. Or maybe some of you were a part of a church in some way or another, and they had this religious focus, and they wanted you and everyone to be good and godly or righteous, but they went about it in a way that kept pulling you towards rules and laws and a kind of system of works that kept putting pressure on you to measure up in a way that just became a crushing weight, and where you sought relief actually became a place of harm. And I'm sorry if, that, if, if you've experienced that, and I mean that. But you know, we as humans, we do this to ourselves. There's this thing about us that when we, when we feel the weight of that regret or that guilt or something, like, like we're, just, we're reaching for something that we think will help. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is our own efforts, our own works isn't the thing. Right? Some religious system like that isn't the thing that will ultimately help us it leaves us feeling further and further away from God in this. It's interesting what he says next, because if you find yourself in that place of feeling like, like I get closer to God, but then it, becomes more and more distant, and you begin to lose hope. He says two things in here that I, that I want you to notice, two things to remember. And this takes place in this kind of, the, the writer of Hebrews describes this kind of conversation that Jesus is having with God the Father that's very revealing here. And uh, he's, the writer writes this, and this is Jesus speaking this. First, he said, and this is Jesus saying sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, right? And he goes on, he says, although the law required them to be made. It's like, there's this whole religious system and the law, the spiritual law required them to be made, but you need to know this, that didn't please God all the appeasing, all the sacrifices, all of those things, right? All of those rituals that people did, like they bring bulls and goats and animals and they'd be sacrificed. And like, there's always this shedding of blood and like all of it. And he says, God, like God's not, like his, his heart's not that people come groveling to him. He's not, in, like he's not some God that's just like, gosh, I like, I, like I, I need you to make up for what you've done wrong in this way. That's not what God is after, he says. Instead, and look at what he says next. He says this next. He says, he says, then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. And what was God's will for Jesus? That instead of making people do all of these sacrifices and works to get to God, Jesus is pointing out God's will was for me to make my way to people. They don't have to make it to me. I make it to them. And here I am. See, this is the story of Easter. It's the story of a God who made his way to us. Start there, right? When you get pulled into this thing of like, am I doing enough? Like, like, am I doing enough to earn God's love to get there? Start with the place that God has made his way to us. And if that's you here this morning, there's a story that I want you to hear. It's a story of someone named James, who I've known for several years around here. Uh, but his story, it, it holds this weight of this, of this deep need out of this uh, medical crisis that he was in and kind of searching for God. But through it, the beauty of his story through this medical crisis that he faced is you see how Jesus found him in the midst of it. And if you find yourself in some difficult place, I hope his story gives you hope that no matter how heavy the weight you carry, it'll be okay.
1: In 2007, I developed metastatic melanoma in my neck. I underwent a year of what the standard was, but wasn't given much hope for not coming back. Three years later, it came back as a brain tumor on the right side of my brain that was right in the area that affected my entire left side of my body. And they said it was inoperable and uh, that I couldn't tolerate the treatments. It put me in the hospital. And so I started uh, uh, calling people and telling them, this is your chance to come visit (laughs) or say your last goodbye. (laughs) And I had a lot of good friends that did do that. I had one drive from the East Coast clear to Tucson to see me. I had another one fly down from Seattle. Uh, you know, I figured I couldn't make it on my own. I was been a physical therapist for 28 years and wasn't accustomed to having paralysis of my own, mainly working with other people. At home, I did Tai Chi and I did strengthening, but I just couldn't get beyond a certain point after a couple of years started working on my bucket list, and one was to go to Albuquerque and see the Hot Air Balloon Festival. And so I went to there and then up to Santa Fe. While I was there, I uh, went to the St. Francis Basilica and walked around and they had a statue of the first Native American saint, St. Catherine. And the next day I noticed that my left arm was getting better. And I thought, well, why is that? I didn't pray to anybody or do anything. And in that, in that time frame, I did make some improvements, but uh, I, they kind of plateaued. And in a quiet moment when I was exercising, laying down on the ground, and when I asked myself that, why am I not getting better? And at that moment, it just made my brain click to say, well, who's the greatest healer of all? And in that moment, I thought, well, Jesus is the greatest healer of all. And, and at that moment, Jesus came back into my life and he said, you are healed and I knew right away that I was. After I accepted Jesus as my healer, I was quite joyful and I noticed the impact it had on other people. Then my wife decided that she got tired of the commute to go from Catalina down to the VA hospital where she works. We found a lot that faces Casas Church and I thought, there must be a reason for this. This empty lot faced right at the cross of Casas. But on Father's Day, uh, I, I thought, well, here I am next to the, the cross, might as well go to church and see what this Casas church is all about because it's gonna be my new neighbor. But over the next six months, I was distracted by selling a house. I really didn't get back to Casas until I uh, moved into here. In January of 2018, I had been going to church for about three or four weeks. And I noticed that the Sunday coming up in the end of January was gonna be the exact same uh, date that I started believing in Jesus again. And in that day, Pastor Glenn said, anyone that takes Jesus as their personal savior, please come up and proclaim that today. So with my winter jacket and my hat on, I ran up from the back coffee area up to the front uh, and I hugged Glenn and I told him that it'd been exactly one year that uh, I'd been healed by Jesus. And now I know I've been saved by Jesus. On this Easter Sunday, I feel blessed that Jesus came back into my life and that he takes the broken and helps heal them and that he takes ordinary and does extraordinary things. And I think uh, the opportunity is here for today for anyone to do that and enjoy the same benefits of joy, you know, that you can make just by asking Jesus into your life.
0: Yeah, I love his story. <clears throat> and if you know James, you just, you know how sincere he was with that. I, uh, one of the things I love about his story is it's so non-prescriptive. Like it, it, there's, it doesn't follow any sort of formula or anything like that. It's just, it's how God worked through the circumstances of his, of his life and in unique ways from hot air balloon festivals to visiting a basilica to just to actually speaking uh, in his own heart and mind. And that's how like Jesus works uh, in these ways. And maybe you find that Christ is doing the same thing in your life now, working in some unique, special way. And one of the struggles we have at times is it's like we get to that place where, okay, I see that God is making his way to me, but how do I make up for like, the weight of those failures, of those regrets. And like, we can get stuck in that place. And friends, again, this is the beauty of what the Easter story is about. It's more than just that God makes his way to us, he does. But it is the work that he did through the Easter story that provides us this kind of beauty and hope in this. You know, when you think about the Easter story, start with Good Friday, start with, you know, Jesus is crucified on a cross. And when you think about that he's crucified on this cross, think about what that means. Like, he made his way to us, but but he loved us so much that he, nothing. He loved us enough that he'd be willing to die for us, right? He made his way to us. And then, uh, part of the story is, right, He is he is buried into the ground, right? And he becomes this kind of sacrifice that is like, that is unlike any sacrifice ever. We think about the sacrifices we make, you know, all the work, you know, people would go to the priests and they would make these sacrifices. Think about how we make sacrifices. We, you know, we may not go to an altar, but we think about these sacrifices. It's like, okay, I'm gonna go do this thing. uh, You know, I'm gonna be extra good. I'm going, you know, I'm gonna give in this way. But really what's going on in our heart is it's like I'm trying to make up for something, right? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be enough. Ever struggle with that? You know, none of us will ever be enough with what we sacrifice. But Jesus dies and he is buried and he is more than enough. He is the ultimate sacrifice. He is the ultimate sacrifice uh, like none other. And then of course, what we worship on Easter is that he rises from the grave and he conquers sin and death, right? And it is this beautiful thing, and understand what he has done in this. By conquering sin and death through his resurrection, what he has done is he is doing away with the system that we feel so compelled to live by, right? It's like, you, you get this, the writer of Hebrews describes this beautiful thing where it's like it's like God gets how stuck we get with this, out of our guilt or shame or our need, like, We go to this system, this ugly religious system of trying to be enough, of working this all out. And it's like, it's hard for us to get away from it. So what Jesus does is he enters into that system. He becomes the ultimate sacrifice. But in becoming the one and ultimate sacrifice, he does away with the system, right? Jesus didn't come to like validate that system. He entered into it, conquered it, right? Rises from the dead to do away with it. He sets us free from it. That's the beauty of the Easter story. I want you to see uh, what the writer of, of Hebrews uh, does with this. He, de- he describes both systems uh, in this, and he starts, he starts with the first one, and he says this. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. He says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, Right? How often do we feel like we go through that? Man, I'll, I'll change this in my prayer life. I'll do this, God. I'll do like, and we do all of those things. And he goes on, which can never take away sins. And those priests, they work and we work and it. In the end, it doesn't do what we need. And now he describes Jesus in his system, but he describes Jesus as being a priest in our system now, right? He enters into our world in this, and he says this but when this priest, speaking of Jesus, but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I love that he writes that. Priests didn't sit down because the work was never done. Jesus offers one sacrifice himself. And that's all that is ever needed, all that was ever needed. And so he sits down. The imagery is so powerful. It's done. Jesus um, is hanging on the cross, and the Bible records his very last words. Right before he dies, what does Jesus say? It is finished. It's finished. I've done everything that needs to be done. No one needs to grovel. No one needs to, no more sacrifices. Jesus came to be the last sacrifice so that you and I, we don't live in a system of sacrifice. We don't get up in the morning and go, what do do I have to sacrifice? What do I have to do to get God to be pleased with me? What do I have to do to lay down guilt or remorse or my feelings? Nothing, friends. Because Jesus finished it. Easter, Easter is not just a story of how God made his way to, he did, and that is so beautiful, and we needed that. But it is the beautiful story of how God came and he entered into our world with our struggles, the system that we couldn't let go of, and he says, let me have that. Watch this. I will, I'll live out your system, and I'll achieve what no one has ever done in your system. I'll live the perfect life, and I'll be the perfect sacrifice. And now I will conquer it. And I will do away with it. It is finished. Give that up. And then you take me on and you come and you sit right next to me. Right next to God. That's what Jesus is offering. It's so beautiful. So friends, on this Easter, maybe there's some of you Maybe maybe some of you have been Christians for a long time. And like me, like we want to pick those rocks back up and we want to hold them. We want to do that thing. And maybe let this Easter be a reminder that you don't have to hold those burdens. You don't have to hold those rocks. It's, no, Jesus has got me and I can lay those things down. But for those of you who have never taken that step to say, I'll I'll give up that works thing. I'll give up trying to be enough. I'll give up trying to appease God. And I'll just let Jesus come into my heart and my life. If you've never done that, I wanna invite you to do that here this morning. Give up the old system for Jesus because it's finished. Be seated with him. You know, to become a follower of Christ, uh, there's no magic formula for that. There's no place in the Bible that says you must do this exactly. There's no magic words to it. The most common way it's described uh, in the Bible is simply believing or trusting him. It's just to say, I just, I'm gonna trust you for my life. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna work for that. I'm gonna trust you. Now, the way it gets described is just inviting him into your life. And I want to encourage you that if you've never done that, to do that here this morning. So what I'm going to do is in a moment, I'm going to just have us bow our heads and close our eyes, all of us. And I'm going to just pray through this simple prayer. And again, it's not, you can use your own words. You can repeat after me. I'm going to just do one little phrase at a time. Whether you want to use my words or your own words, it doesn't matter. But I want to invite you to do that and actually take a step of putting away the old and becoming a follower of Christ here in this moment. So, Why don't we all close our eyes, bow our heads here in this moment? And if you want to become a follower of Christ, you've never done this before, why don't you just pray this prayer with me right now? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I come before you right now, and I give you all of the weight of my regret. I give you all the regret. I give you all the weight of whatever I'm ashamed of. I give you all the weight of everything I've done wrong, I give you all the weight of all of my needs, because I need you, I need to know that I'll be okay, I need to know that I'm secure, and I invite you into my life to be my savior, to be the one that I'm seated with. Seated with God, thank you. Amen. Just go ahead and keep your eyes closed, head bowed, just for another second here, because I would imagine maybe uh, a number of you made that decision here. There's a bunch in the last service, and if you did, if you prayed that prayer with me for the very first time, I want to ask you just would you just raise your hand? I just you, I'd love to just see who all prayed that prayer. You just raise your hand for a moment there. Thank you, thank you. Okay put your hands down a bunch of you raised your hands okay you can all look up here for just a moment um there were a whole bunch of you that prayed that prayer and like what a fantastic yeah what a like any day is a good day to become a follower of christ but like easter is like an extra special day to do that so congratulations to all of you who did that um and this morning uh We've prepared a couple of things to end our Easter service with. Um, And one is this kind of living illustration of what I talked about here. Um, You were given a rock when you came in this morning and maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a long time but you came in and there is something that you're carrying and this morning reminded you of how because of your relationship with Christ you get to just lay that down. And in a moment... uh, Uh, Josh is gonna come out and, and lead us in this song. And during that song, I wanna encourage you to think of what that rock, that physical rock means spiritually to you. And maybe come up to, there's chairs all throughout the room here with like baskets next to them. Maybe during that song, just slip out and go and just put that rock symbolically on that chair or in that basket next to that chair and just recognizing that this is my burden. But Christ took care of it and he sat down and it's finished and therefore I can lay it down and I would encourage you to do that because there's something about going through something like that that just it pulls us into that spiritual thing it reminds us of that but I especially for those of you who prayed that prayer with me just a minute ago for the very first time I want to encourage you to also do that exercise um, but maybe Bring your rock up to this chair up here. And and here's why. Because when Josh starts singing this song, I'm going to come down uh, here. And I, all of you who prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to just congratulate you personally. I would just love to shake your hand and say an encouraging word. And there's actually a few things that we want to share with you that I want to share with you. I actually have a gift for you um, this uh, morning to just, because you have started something new and beautiful here this morning. So as we all stand, why don't we all go ahead and stand? And as you do, um, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, you slip out and make your way down here and put your rock down here, come and see me. Or any of you at any moment during this song, you slip out and just find one of those chairs and walk through that uh, here. And then we have something planned after uh, this. But you Make your way out, or if you became a a new follower of Christ, find me right down here.